You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, welcome back to the Oz Network for most likely one final time here in 2017, our inaugural year as the Oz Network. And uh, we've taken, I guess, a bit of a break over the fall season as we kind of entered this expecting, you know, we'd have you know weekly reviews every single week for new movies but uh it didn't really work out that way this fall has been pretty dull as almost every movie avoided star wars at all costs and we basically only had justice league and star wars to talk about but uh now that star wars is out and it's right before the end of the year we're i guess in the middle of or right at the beginning of the we're, I guess, right at the end of the Oscar push season, and so we'll probably have a couple of reviews for you to come in the next few weeks just talking about uh, some of these Oscar contender movies, the Oscar bait movies coming out. Uh, I am solo here today, and my name is Colin, and I am a podcaster in love with the sound of my own voice. Uh, which is why I'm the only one on this episode today. There's no Ben. Uh, we're here to talk about a movie. If you didn't get it from that quote uh, and you know nothing about it, we're going to talk about Winston Churchill and The Darkest Hour. Um, and I say Winston Churchill and The Darkest Hour because I heard Gary Oldman had been cast in The Darkest Hour movie. Uh, I don't remember seeing Gary Oldman in this movie. I just remember seeing Winston Churchill. And that uh, says a lot about Gary Oldman and what he pulls off in this movie. But... Uh, the Darkest Hour is a movie that uh, I guess it's been out in limited release for a couple of weeks and just sort of came out wide release uh, last Friday, at least here in Canada. It was last Friday, so uh, I think I saw this right on Christmas night. I just had nothing to do on Christmas night and decided I'd go see The Darkest Hour. And uh, I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan. I'll just start off by saying that. And uh, pretty much anything Gary Oldman's in, I'm guaranteed to want to see that movie. But this one especially because uh, it was a Winston Churchill biopic. And I think this is the first major theatrical Winston Churchill biopic we've had, uh, at least within my lifetime. And it's such a you know famous character. You think about all the major characters who've gotten their own theatrical films like Lincoln's probably the one that I'm going to compare this most to throughout the movie here and you think there's tons with Churchill you can do if you're not really a history buff and don't know much about Winston Churchill uh, this movie was probably a good place to start because uh, unlike a lot of other biopics out there this takes the approach of really just telling his first month in office and we don't really get a lot of backstory which is I'll get into that in a minute about what I liked about this movie and how they set up the Winston Churchill character but uh, as far as like a biopic goes, this isn't going to be telling his entire life. It's not like The Aviator in that sense. This is a lot more like Lincoln that came out a couple of years ago. I think it was 2012, uh, except way better of a movie. <laughs> I'm going to spoil a bit of my review here and just say this movie is way better than Lincoln. Uh, does it spoil it that much? No, because you'll probably hear me take a lot of shots at Steven Spielberg's Lincoln throughout this but uh, Darkest Hour, it didn't disappoint me. I thought this movie looked great going in. Uh, I knew Gary Oldman was going to deliver, but this is like, oh, it's so good. And I'll also just start by saying I kind of have a prejudice against what I would consider impression Oscar bait performances, meaning you get a big actor to do a big role of somebody who's incredibly famous, and it's just a given, oh, they have to get the Oscar because they did a great impression of this. Uh my biggest complaint with that is actually from an actress I'm a huge fan of, and I've already talked about on this podcast a couple of times, but Kate Blanchett, when she won for The Aviator, I mentioned you know, a few minutes ago, uh, she was playing Katherine Hepburn in The Aviator, and I saw The Aviator, and I heard all this buzz even before the movie came out about, oh, you know, 
Kate Blanchett's definitely going to win the Oscar for this, you know, because she plays Catherine Hepburn. And it's such a, and people would talk about, oh, it's such a great character. And I saw the movie. I'm like, she has no character in the movie. She's there. She has a role in it. There's a couple of decent scenes, but for the most part, she is doing an impression, a dead-on impression of Catherine Hepburn. But nothing where if you didn't know who Catherine Hepburn is, you would have walked into the aviator and said, Kate Blanchett deserves the Oscar. You know, you have the other side of that where there's Daniel Day-Lewis, who in Lincoln got the Oscar again for doing an impression. I don't know if we could call it an impression performance, but playing an extremely famous character where I think there's a bit of bias uh, when it comes to awards where if there is a major character like that, uh, you either love it or hate it. It's either going to be the worst performance ever. Uh, or it's going to be the greatest performance ever if you're playing somebody who's iconic. With Lincoln, maybe Daniel Day-Lewis got a few extra points because nobody really knew what Lincoln sounded like. So he kind of created this unique voice. But again, playing such a famous character, uh, there's definitely a lot of comparisons here. But I do have a prejudice against those types of roles because I find too often it just becomes, let's do an impression of this famous person. And Winston Churchill, I mean, I don't think you can find another uh, 20th century character or real life figure who is as iconic and is probably well known for all of his mannerisms and anything as uh, you will with Winston Churchill you know maybe John F. Kennedy's on the same level but I would argue Winston Churchill probably even more famous uh, and for Gary Oldman an actor who's as recognizable as Gary Oldman to do a character like Winston Churchill and actually bring depth to the performance is what impressed me with this. So the majority of what I'm going to be praising here is going to be Gary Oldman. Uh, but don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great things about the movie too. But what Gary Oldman did different here is that I actually felt like this character mattered. And that's something that I don't get in a lot of these iconic uh, movie portrayals of these famous characters. Because Gary Oldman just brought something to the movie, which was something unexpected. And it has a lot to do with the way the movie's written as well, which, you know, I'll give credit to uh, Anthony McCartan, who wrote this movie. He wrote Winston Churchill in ways you wouldn't expect. And it's probably very realistic to the way he was. You know, everybody knows Winston Churchill is this huge uh, public speaker, like maybe the greatest public speaker of all time. And his speeches, I mean, you could find them. All you gotta do is punch in winston churchill on youtube and you're gonna find a dozen of his most famous speeches that are there for you to listen to everybody knows what churchill sounds like everybody knows what churchill looks like uh but there's things that are written in this movie and that gary Oldman do which is different was that you see churchill kind of struggling a bit where he hasn't quite adopted that public persona now he's definitely famous for who he is and the way this movie starts out is that the opening scene is just about uh it's literally the fall of the previous prime minister um, the, the I, I guess there's there's a session and they're they're talking about the the prime minister and and of the invasion of the Germans and basically the start of World War Two as they've invaded Belgium and everything, and uh, the previous prime minister Chamberlain they're basically saying yeah you have to step down you're not strong enough to handle uh, a conflict like this that's that's brewing, and it becomes you know we need to appoint a new leader who the opposition is going to get behind, and. The first thought is to uh, appoint this uh, man, Halifax, who's uh, played in this movie by another one of my favorite, I guess, unsung heroes in the movie, Stephen Delane, who's just amazing. And I, I guess most people are going to be more familiar uh, with Stephen Delane, not from uh, the, the movies he's done, which I, or even the miniseries. Like, I loved him in the movie The Hours and in uh, John Adams and everything like that. But uh, uh, definitely nowadays, people are going to think of Stephen Delane more for the TV shows he's done, particularly Game of Thrones. He played Stannis Brathian on that, and he's on The Crown as well. So uh, Stephen Delane's such a good actor, and he's playing the guy that everybody wanted as Prime Minister. And whether this is full history or not, I don't know. 
But uh, he himself, Halifax, says, no, I'm not going to step down. And you kind of get the impression throughout the movie. And I, this is one thing I love what Stephen Delane does is just the subtlety of actors. I don't like actors who are just big and bold and out there. And they, they basically telegraph everything that their character is doing. I like what Gary Oldman does in this. I like what Stephen Delane does. Where Stephen Delane, you almost get he has a bit of a plot. Like he's saying, no, I won't step up now even though I could and I could become the prime minister. Uh, I don't think this is the right time. And it kind of becomes, well, maybe he's biding his time for a reason. Maybe this is all you know, his uh, house of cards game here where he figures Churchill is going to fall on his face. But they appoint Churchill. He's the, the only other one they figured the opposition would get behind. And... We definitely see very early on, like the very first scene Churchill's introduced, you know, they're, they're identifying things about him that everybody knows, like his weird stutter, uh, or not stutter, but his like weird slurring of his speech and how you can't really understand what he's saying a lot of the time. And uh, the movie's kind of introduced through the eyes of uh, his new secretary, uh, who's just sort of set up, you know, that he's going to be very difficult to deal with and nobody really lasts. And she basically runs out of there within five minutes because Churchill's just like, you know, hammering her and, and abrading her. It's just, it's brutal to watch. But at the same time, like, he has such a quirky introduction to his character. And it's not what you expect for this iconic, powerful figure is that he's basically sitting there in his underwear, waking up out of bed, uh, you know, dictating what he wants to say and kind of losing track of his thoughts. And there's a lot of scenes like that throughout this that I like with that secretary, um, that is uh, kind of the only person that gets to see how he's not always this incredible public speaker and, you know, that he doesn't always have the right words. There are scenes where he sits there for hours and he's just stumbling on his words and he doesn't know what to say and, you know, he he doesn't really come across uh, confident at all. And those are the things that you don't expect to give depth to the character, but it gives depth to the character because Gary Oldman doesn't hammer you with it. He doesn't just just uh, relentlessly remind you over and over again, I'm not the iconic figure you thought I was. Uh, and there's so much depth with things like that. And also the fact that he has these scenes where we're seeing him all in the first month, like this entire movie, it starts and it literally will count down days. And that's something I didn't really expect. I knew this was about his early days as prime minister and how he dealt with the Nazi invasion and everything. But the movie will start and it will say, you know, May 14th or whatever it is. And then you'll go through 10 minutes of scenes and it'll click forward May 15th. And you very quickly get the impression this movie is going to be just day by day what happened. And so much of this is just about, you know, them in the war rooms. And uh, I think most of, as I said, most of the Winston Churchill movies we've seen up until now have been ones where they're TV movies. I think the most well-known would probably be the... They're made very far apart and use two different actors, but there was The Gathering Storm, which uh, I think had Albert Finney in it, and then uh, maybe, I don't know, 10 years later or whatever, they made another one, which took place years later, uh, which had a different actor, uh, Brendan Gleeson, playing Winston Churchill. So those two um, TV movies, I guess, would form its own miniseries of 10 years apart, Uh, and there was even another Winston Churchill one, but... it almost seems like it's fit for a miniseries even when you watch this or it's fit more for a stage play because there's not a lot going on. It's a lot of like Churchill is sitting in a a dark room in a a bunker somewhere and it's just a meeting around a table. And uh, even when he really gets out of there, there's one scene which I kind of have some questions on how real it is or how scripted it might have been. But uh, near the end of the movie where he goes and he's on a train and he's just talking to people and even that scene, even though he's out of the war rooms, he's out of the bunkers and he's out in the real world, it's just like a very confined space. And uh, there's a lot of this movie that's just cramped. But yet the director, Joe Wright, who I'll 
kind of talk a little bit about him here because I'm not really a fan of Joe Wright. Um, I know he's been nominated for several Academy Awards, but he brings such like a cinematic look to this movie. And it's two things. It's the way he shoots this movie. And sometimes it's just these incredible overhead views in a very cramped room that just makes it feel different. Uh, And then the other thing is just the music, which I'll talk about later on, which is unbelievable. Uh, But this movie feels cinematic. And I felt watching this in a big theater uh, that it felt like something that you should pay to see on a big screen, even though this type of story is usually what it's reserved for a TV miniseries or a TV movie. Um, But just talking about Joe Wright for a second... You know, I said I'm not really a fan of his. I don't think I'm the type of person who's supposed to be a fan of Joe Wright. I mean, if you run down his movies here, you know, he got his big break with uh, Pride and Prejudice. It's one of Jamie's favorite movies. You know, I I watch that as being obligated as a husband to watch Pride and Prejudice. But it's not really my thing. You know, Atonement and everything. Uh, Anna Karenina he made a few years ago. I've tried to watch a lot of these movies. It's I'm, I'm not the audience for it. So... I'm not going to sit there and criticize Joe Wright and say he's a terrible director, but I will say his first, I guess, venture into, uh, I guess, outside of those whole period uh, costume dramas, those Kira Knightley dramas, was Pan, the uh, Peter Pan prequel that came out with Hugh Jackman, which that I will judge him on because that was one of the worst movies I've seen probably within the last decade. Like, it was absolutely horrible. And I guess that was a big budget movie he was dealing with too. I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't right for it, but it just, the movie was awful. So I didn't go into Darkest Hour really even thinking about, whoa, Joe Wright's going to bring something great to this. But he really does. And he makes this feel different from Pride and Prejudice or Atonement or obviously different from Pan. Uh, And it just, it feels like a different movie. And the music, the other thing I want to talk about, oh, I can't say enough about how incredible the music is in this. And, uh, the composer for the score here, uh, Dario Marinelli, you know, obviously he's worked with Joe Wright on Atonement and everything and Pride and Prejudice and all his movies. Uh, but the score for this movie is, again, totally different what you expect. You expect a period film like this to sound like what John Williams' score for Lincoln sounded like. And it is not that at all. I mean, the the music in this movie is just huge. It feels like an action score more than anything else. Uh, so much of this score is just like pounding music and big drums. And, you know, if I were listening to this, I would expect it to be the soundtrack to something like Star Wars. And yet it is a guy in a room. And I'll go as far as to say that uh, the score for Churchill is not just easily, for me, the best music score of this entire year. But on top of that, this is like probably one of the greatest scores I have heard within the last five years at least. Like, it is absolutely incredible. Um, Now, the music adds so much to that whole cinematic feel of this movie because there's scenes where there's just people walking through courtyards or walking through hallways, and there's a... Like, this this really powerful music playing, and you just feel like like it's huge, and it just grabs your attention. Uh, As far as the movie itself, I mean, I think the music was important for that, and then the cinematic look that Joe Wright gives it is important because... So many of the scenes, as I said, take place in these cramped quarters, but it's also one of these movies where the scenes drag out for a long time. And I don't mean drag out in a bad way. It's just uh, each scene in this movie probably plays for at least five minutes. You know, you'll you'll go through a five-minute sequence where it's him on the phone with somebody, and then a five-minute sequence where it's him in front of, you know, a couple of people at a boardroom table, and five-minute scenes with him and his wife. And I don't think there's a single scene in this movie that's less than five minutes. There's some, probably some that go even as long as ten minutes. Uh but none of this feels like it drags because Gary Oldman's performance is great. There's a lot of humor in this movie 
at the right parts. Uh, I mentioned the, the opening scene that we get with him where it's him you know, kind of waking up in bed and is, there's a lot of funny stuff in there. But even just the scenes with his wife and uh, some of the other actors in this movie, I mentioned Stephen Delaney who's great, but like Kristen Scott Thomas who plays his wife in this, I don't even remember the last time I saw her in the movie. And it, it's funny, as I was watching this, I'm thinking to myself, remember 20 years ago where she was like the biggest deal on the planet and then whatever happened to Kristen Scott Thomas? Well, this is what happened. She finally got uh, another big break and it, it's actually a small role, but like Stephen Delaney in this movie, and like uh, so many of the other actors I'll mention in a little bit, the little scenes they have make it feel big. And I wasn't really on board with Sally Field getting an Oscar nomination for Lincoln. Um, but here in smaller roles, Kristen Scott Thomas, if she got a supporting actress nomination for this, I would be very satisfied with that. Uh, ben Mendelsohn, who uh, most people obviously are going to be familiar with him from uh, Rogue One, where he played the villain in Rogue One. Uh, but... For me, I got introduced to him in the TV show Bloodline, which probably one of, hands down, one of the greatest acting performances in the history of television in season one of Bloodline. He plays the uh, the King of England here in this movie, uh, another character that we'd be a little bit familiar with, King George, uh, because there was a movie a couple of years ago that made about him as well, The King's Speech. And I didn't really make that connection right away, even though I should have, because I knew that, you know, this was the relationship Churchill and George uh, during the war and everything, but Ben Mendelsohn doesn't play it obvious. He's not playing Colin Firth in the King's Speech here. Uh, there's really only one scene where, and it was pretty close to the end of the movie, where I made that connection where I'm like, oh yeah, this is the King's Speech guy. Uh, and it's not even like he hits you over the head with it. Like you know, you'd expect, Gary, uh, as I said, Gary Oldman didn't in this, but it's so subtle where there's just a few moments where he's having this one really... Uh, really deep conversation with Churchill and it's probably my favorite scene in the entire movie this this final meeting between Churchill and King George where Ben Mendelsohn drops a few of those little stutters in there and it's so subtle that you really will never pick up on it so there's a lot of things in history that even if you're not familiar with Churchill if you're familiar with movies you're going to pick up on the other one would be obviously the Battle of Dunkirk and this entire movie basically set against the backdrop of we have to get these guys out of Dunkirk. How are we going to do this? Uh, and it's not the major plot point of the movie. The majority of this is, are we going to be able to negotiate you know, a peace treaty with the Nazis? Should we negotiate a peace treaty with the Nazis? Should we go to war with them? Would we survive if they tried to invade us and all this stuff right now? Uh, and it, the, the way that it plays out here, it's, it's very much in the background, but you could consider this if you saw Dunkirk earlier this year, almost a small companion piece to it. And I feel like they kind of treated it that way. Maybe there was more with Dunkirk in this movie and they pulled it back after the Dunkirk movie came out this past summer because there's like one shot. There'll be moments in the movie where I forget, oh yeah, they're dealing with the Dunkirk thing right now too. And there's one shot where you see all these boats. He said, yeah, we have this plan on how to get them out. And you see all these boats just you know sailing across the ocean and they just sort of drop it. So maybe I'd like to see a director's cut to these to see if there was a little bit more in there. Uh, but uh, still, it's 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 cool to see as a companion piece to see how much history there is going on with that. Um, back to Gary Oldman for a minute. I mean, I talked about Mendelssohn and Delane and Kristen Scott Thomas and Huey. Um, and I guess the one other actor to mention is uh, Lily James, who plays the secretary in this. Uh, she's going to be most well known for the Cinderella movie that came out uh, a couple of years ago. But... I think she's the one actor where she doesn't really get that big moment in it. And maybe it's that the character is just the secretary. Uh, she probably has the most screen time next to Gary Oldman. But it's, it's my one complaint because I feel like we've seen these types of movies before. 
like My Week with Marilyn, where you're seeing this iconic figure, but the movie's sort of told from the point of view of this small outsider who's just the assistant, or in this case, the secretary. Uh, and they don't really do a lot with her in this movie. And it's another thing where I feel like I don't know if this was the intention, because they really start the movie telling it from her point of view, and then they'll drop her, and halfway through the movie, you're like they reintroduce her, like, oh yeah, this is the character that this movie was apparently told from the point of view of. Maybe there were more scenes, or maybe they just, you know, maybe I'm misreading the way her character was supposed to be. She doesn't have as much of a, an impact as Stephen Delane or Kristen Scott Thomas or Ben Mendelsohn does. Uh, but at the same time, none of these actors have more than a handful of scenes. This is 100% the Gary Oldman show. And I, I have no idea how he's able to pull off this character. And he's not really, the funny thing is, he's not, it doesn't feel like he's doing an impression. And I think that's just because he saw the depth he had to bring to this character. But he still looks and sounds exactly like Churchill half the time. And it's the only time I think I've ever seen one of these movies. And I'm going to include movies like Lincoln in there or The Aviator or any of these other, you know, uh, very famous biopics uh, where I forgot I was watching Gary Oldman. And here I am. Gary Oldman's probably one of my top five favorite actors. I mean, anything he's in, I'm guaranteed to see it. And yet... When Gary Oldman is in this role, half of the movie I was watching, I'm like, oh, I see Gary Oldman in this shot a little bit. Oh, in that close-up, I can see Gary Oldman. And the other half of the time, I'm feeling like, who's the, who is the guy who played this character again? Like, I'm, I'm actually lost and trying to think, you know, who was this? And I'm not saying I literally got lost, but that's how into this character he, he uh, got and how incredible the transformation is just with the makeup. Um, should Gary Oldman win the Oscar for this one? I'm going to say yes, just because I love Gary Oldman, but also I'll compare this to his greatest performance. And Gary Oldman's, I think, that one actor. And it always bothered me when people would say, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, oh, it's a disgrace. He's never won an Oscar. And I'd always say to people, go back over every year he had a movie and then find the other actors who were nominated that year and then tell me that he was legitimately the best person. Like, there's no way he deserved to win in all these years. If you think, oh, I'm, I'm amazed he never won an Oscar for whether or not he should have won the Oscar in 2007, I think it was, Blood Diamond or The Departed, both out that year. And everybody's like, oh, he's never won an Oscar. He didn't win for The Blood Diamond. It's like, well, Forrest Whitaker won for Last King of Scotland. Uh, Gary Oldman's the opposite for me. And it, when Gary Oldman has been nominated, the one time he was nominated, I think, uh, was for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That performance, I don't think anybody can beat that. I mean, you could take any performance in the entire decade, and in my mind, nothing beats Gary Oldman and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Uh, and I will say, if I'm comparing this Churchill to uh, the the character he had in Tinker Tailor, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the most impossible title to pronounce, um, I would prefer Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but I think part of that is just... I'm more aware it was Gary Oldman the entire time. And for a lot of this movie, as I said, you kind of forget you're watching Gary Oldman. And maybe that makes it better for what he did in the movie. Or um, maybe it takes away a little bit because it's an iconic character. But Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is his ultimate performance. Having said that, this is right up there. And uh, I'm not one to say, oh, he, he needs to win the Oscar. Because I haven't seen half the movies out there that are going to be nominated even. But... Uh, if Gary Oldman has ever given a performance where he has to win the Oscar, and again, I thought and said the same thing for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but this would have to be the one. So uh, that's the one thing I'm uh, coming out of this movie really hoping is that Gary Oldman, I know he's going to get nominated. I, I don't see any way around it. And if I'm wrong, let's play this clip and mock me uh, for the entire year. But there is no way Gary Oldman does not get nominated. Uh, but 
Um, if he does get nominated, I mean, I'll have to wait and see who's better when he wins. But if Gary Oldman wins this, I'm going to be the happiest guy in the world because Gary Oldman won an Oscar and he did it for one where he deserved. There's been a lot of actors who win what I consider the makeup Oscar. And uh, I think the best example of that, and I know a lot, this will be controversial for a lot of people, but uh, uh, Training Day for Denzel Washington. You know, when Denzel Washington didn't win in 1999 for the hurricane, that was the big shock. And you can do some history uh, research on that to see, you know, what actually cost him the Oscar because it was a guarantee Denzel was winning that. And then the real life Reuben Carter, you know, kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. And all of a sudden, no, we're giving it to Kevin Spacey for American Beauty. But Denzel should have won for Hurricane. When he didn't win for Hurricane, the next time he was nominated, Training Day, it felt to me like they just gave him the Oscar for Training Day. It wasn't as good as Hurricane, but, oh, we got to make up for it. And I'll say the same thing for Russell Crowe. Ru- Russell Crowe was nominated for The Insider in 99, and everybody was saying it is either Denzel Washington or Russell Crowe for The Insider or The Hurricane or Insider. And then they gave it to Kevin Spacey for American Beauty. So what happened the next year? Russell Crowe wins for Gladiator. Like, I know a lot of people love the movie Gladiator, but that's not Russell Crowe's strongest performance. Um, If Gary Oldman wins a makeup Oscar for this, though, this is a deserving one. This is a movie where I would be happy saying, okay, he should have won for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He didn't. I'm good with him winning it for Churchill. Um, If people really want to know what this movie's like, I mean, there's two movies I really was thinking of the entire time watching this. The first one was Lincoln, which, as I said, I'm not a big fan of. But the similarities are you're taking this iconic character and you're instead of telling their life story, which I find those movies just usually don't work as well as they should, they're fixated on one event in their iconic life. And that's what Lincoln did. It was just, you know, set over the course of a few months, I think it was, but focused on one particular part of his presidency. And that's what this is. Not only is it just focused on how he entered the war, it's about so much more. It's really the first three to four weeks this entire movie takes place in. It's about how he got into power, how he gained the confidence of people who didn't have confidence in him, how he gained the confidence to do this job, uh, how he dealt with this Nazi crisis, and you know how he formed relationships with the King of England at that time. Um, so... So much of this movie is just coming down to the, just the four weeks, but you're still getting a lot of story. But that's what I would compare it to, very much like Lincoln in that, but not like Lincoln at all in the movie, and that this movie was actually good. Lincoln was pretty much garbage, um, and not the worst movie Spielberg made. That would be War Horse. But uh, yeah, this movie, it definitely delivers. Uh, and the other one I compare it to would be 13 Days, which was a movie about the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is such an underrated movie. Uh, I, I feel like that was during a time period where people were trying to forget Kevin Costner existed. If 13 Days came out 10 years later, if that came out now, 13 Days would have gotten a Best Picture nomination. 13 Days is better than Churchill. I mean, it is the ultimate movie dealing with you know one political crisis. But this would be right up there. So finally getting my review. Uh, buy it, bin it, rent it. I'm going to be honest. I'm buying this movie, but I would also give it that recommendation just because I think this is a movie people really will enjoy if they check it out it's not a boring political movie even though i've said a lot of things in here that might lead people to believe oh there's long scenes and a lot of it's just talking politics there's so much life in gary oldman's performance and things like the way the movie's shot and the music just brings so much tension to what's going on that this is an exciting movie and it's something that i walked out of 
wanting to see again, not rushing to see it again, but I would definitely buy this movie. And uh, uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about this again if it does get a Best Picture nomination. As we're going through this Oscar season here, some of these pre-reviews as I'm seeing, um, I'll also go through, well, does this deserve, as the movies that people are saying, this should probably get nominated for Best Picture. This one, I I wouldn't be surprised if it got nominated, but I also wouldn't be shocked if it didn't. It's not the single greatest movie I've ever seen. So with potentially up to 10 nominations you know if darkest hour gets nominated um i'm not gonna be shocked at that but if it doesn't get nominated i'm not gonna be crying if gary oman doesn't get nominated i'll be crying uh i will cry on air uh people can hear me cry and weep like a baby because gary oman got robbed again but i'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of these movies a second time if they do get nominated but just in the event it doesn't uh, we thought we'd give you the darkest hour here. I thought I'd give you the darkest hour. Uh, just setting up here, um, you know, th- how great Gary Oldman is and how much people should see it just for the performance and that it is an entertaining movie. You don't have to like political movies to enjoy this. So uh, there will be another movie that we'll, I'll talk about tomorrow. So probably it'll be our first review of the new year that I did see last night and I just don't have time to record two of them back to back here. Uh, but uh, before we get to that, I'll just mention... I don't know if it's up already or if it's going to be coming up later today. We do have a best of, a year-end best of here that we put together. And there's some great stuff on there uh, from pretty much all of our hosts, all of our episodes. Um, you're going to hear some of those absurd moments, things that we, when we put together the Oz Network, a lot of things we didn't think we, that would ever happen. Uh, listen for the ones where we uh, changed and got banned from Wikipedia. There's going to be some good stuff on there. But uh, yeah, the best of compilation should be out uh, pretty soon uh, if it's not out already. Uh, other than that, I'm going to kind of start the new year with another review of another Oscar bait movie that's out now, another biopic, not really an iconic person, uh, but that's Molly's Game with Jessica Chastain. I did see it last night, so I won't tease too much about my opinion of it. Uh, just It's very different from Darkest Hour, um, and uh, obviously this is the directorial debut of Aaron Sorkin, too, uh, who's most well-known for funny i would want to say he's most well known for his tv work but he's kind of you know picked that up into more movies now but aaron sorkin huge figure and jessica chastain huge figure idris elba awesome uh so i'll bring that tomorrow we'll kind of kick off the new year with molly's game and i'm sure there's gonna be more of these movies coming in the future uh more of these reviews before we get to the oscar which eventually we will get there and we're hoping to do an oscar month where we can do smaller reviews like this of all the best pictures and maybe even rank the best picture nominees what we would rank it as and do you know some type of oscar show uh, as well olympic month will be coming and then our regular things lost and star trek discovery is going to be coming back uh if anybody was listening to star trek discovery and wondered why we didn't do the fall finale episode um we just didn't have time if you've been listening to all of our justice league star wars christmas episodes over the last two months you'd realize i probably don't have much time left to record anything uh but also knowing it was a cliffhanger uh, we're going to record those two kind of back-to-back. So you'll probably get to listen to the Star Trek Discovery one in the next few days. And then when Star Trek Discovery's back next week, we'll do that. Plus, The Amazing Race is coming back. So Rossi and I are going to start covering the U.S. Amazing Race this time. Um, Survivor's on a bit of a break, but Ben's got his regular nip-tucks and losts and uh, third watches and all that. And also, I don't want to announce what it is, but there's another mid-season show that's starting that we might have some coverage of that could include a lot of your different hosts crossing over into that show. Uh, but just listen for that. So that's it for 2017 and The Darkest Hour. Uh, My name is Colin, and this was our finest half hour. Uh, 
only those who know Winston Churchill are going to get that reference. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.